Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that wields the power of the song story to bring out the best storyteller and our guests. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is John Davis. John Davis has been a full-time reporter and producer for WGCU Public Radio, where we make this show, since 2009. He's the local host for NPR's Morning Edition, took over for me in 2011, and he's a producer and host for WGCU's radio talk program, Gulf Coast Life, which I also produce and host. John came to WGCU as an intern in 2007, as did I in 2003. Walk in my footsteps much, John Davis? Just kidding. Prior to joining WGCU, John reported at WDUQFM in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He studied journalism at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh before earning a Bachelor of Arts degree in communication from Florida Gulf Coast University. His journalism has won a bunch of awards. He plays a mean cello, and I count him not only as a colleague, but a close friend. It's song story time. Hey there, John Davis. Hey, Mike Canary. Is that WGCU's John Davis? That's WGCU's John Davis. The very one. <laughs> okay, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing it on such short notice. We just sprung it on you yesterday afternoon, but you said you'd been thinking about it for a while. So how's it feel to finally you know, be here in this moment? It's fine. In, <laughs> at the end, it's just sort of like a little arbitrary. I am... Um, I had ideas for songs I was going to do, because I've been thinking about this for close to two years, and I didn't go with any of those. Okay, well, so, good. Well, we'll see where you wound up. So yeah. where did you go- begin? Where did John Wait, wait, Davis- before, oh, before John oh. answers the question, because we've got two minutes before it's noon, and for all the WGCU people in our area that are going to inevitably download and we listen, can to listen to this, to the- I just want to hear John say, Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Forward. <laughs> Uh, oh, goodness. So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Did you grow up in Pittsburgh or in the area near Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mostly grew up there. Um, we moved there when I was about in third grade. So I did, you know, most of elementary school and middle school and two years of high school there before coming to Florida. What was the musical background of that time period? How would you characterize that? Uh, pretty musical. Um, if you were growing up in my house, you you played a musical instrument. We all started off on the piano around uh, – uh, my brother and I started around kindergarten age, and uh, my sister played piano as well. Um, later, we were able to pick something else if we wanted to. My sister stuck with piano, and my brother played saxophone and guitar, and, and I chose the cello. Hmm. And so do you still play the piano? Is that still like in your skill set, or is that just sort of was the foundation for your music? Uh, more just like a foundation for the music. I can't, you know, do anything more complicated than heart and soul, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll get to more of when you got more into the cello later, but well, it was like music being played around you. What were your parents listening to? Let's start there. Um... Something that was kind of on regular rotation if you were in the car with my mom would have been the Big Chill soundtrack. Okay, so, okay. And uh, it, it's funny. Um, is that Tutti Frutti? Is that on there? Uh, Tutti Frutti is not on there, but it's in that same vein. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's funny, actually. Last December, um, I had been doing some Christmas shopping, and you know, being selfless takes a lot out of me. So I went to Beach Records to buy something for myself, and I saw that Marty had a, a copy of the Big Chill soundtrack and vinyl on there. And he's like, well, I was saving this for somebody, but I'd rather give it to you. And uh, so I've been listening to that, and it's, it's been really kind of nostalgic and fun to just have my own copy of that on vinyl. So uh, it'd be like I heard it through the grapevine. Yes, my girl. Yes, 
Tutti Fruity could have been on there. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Rat, you make me feel like a natural woman. Yeah. I second yeah. that emotion. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so what were you listening to oh. as a kid? Like, what was the first band you, or, you know, thing you glommed onto as a kid? Um, in second grade, I made friends with a girl named Heather. And I don't even remember what her last name is, but she introduced me to Paula Abdul. Wow. And I was smitten from the beginning. That was the first cassette tape I ever had was Paula Abdul's Forever Your Girl. My bedroom had Paula Abdul posters and pictures cut out of Teen Beat and Bop magazine. Um, For real? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I was into it. What was it about Paula Abdul that struck you so? I don't know. She sings. She dances. She, you know, I don't know. I was in second grade. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But I still probably could sing along with every song on that album. I haven't listened to it in probably 30 years. But uh, (laughs) for me, it was Paula Abdul. I would even, uh, it's funny, I, I never considered getting into journalism until like two years into college, actually. But there's these cassette tapes and my mom might still have them in a closet somewhere that I used to do with my boombox where I, I would kind of record myself hosting a radio show. Really? And there was one where I interviewed Paula Abdul, but it was not dissimilar to the work you and I do now. You, we do now, Mike, like I researched her. And like, I asked really impressive you questions. Asked questions for a sec- you knew the answer to, yes. which is the trick and of then I, being a good interviewer. Yes. So wait, wait. But then I would change my voice yeah, and respond as Paul. You were like Stephen Colbert when he did the two things. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, um, so you still play the cello today. When yes. did you first pick up a cello as a kid? Uh, fifth grade was when uh, I first started with the cello. Um, we had a great music teacher and uh, a string teacher where I grew up in Pittsburgh in the, the township. It's not like it is here where kids can choose what schools they go to. There was like one high school, one middle school. And uh, the same string teacher was the same one at the high school, in the middle school, and in the elementary schools. Mm. So I kind of had one conductor and one instructor for <laughs> like most of those those early formative years of string teaching. Um so Donna Fox was a big influence on my life. That was her name. She was the first person to put a, you know, a cello in my hands. And I, I don't know, it just seemed to make sense. Like I tried picking up the violin and, you know, you're, you're holding it under your neck and your wrist has to move in this way. It just didn't, I just didn't see that working out. The cello, but, you can just kind of sit back. <clears throat> yeah, you can sit there. <laughs> it's in front of you. Like you can look at, like, I don't know. There's just, there's something about it that was just more tactile wise, uh, conducive to to me so you played like all through then all the way through high school you were in the band or the choir or the the orchestra yes okay sorry i get my terminology right (laughs) uh when did you play cello music or when did you use the cello to play music that wasn't that stuff you were being played you know the classical stuff that you were playing pocket bells cannon yeah (laughs) exactly because i know you now you know you'll sit in with just about anybody and find your way so noodle in there so when did that start coming along um I guess a little bit in high school. Um, I, I would play sometimes with my brother. Um, he plays guitar and, and sings. Um, but it really wasn't until after college that I started doing that. But but I, I kind of, the seeds were planted back with albums like uh, you know Nirvana's Unplugged album because they had a, a, a cello that was featured very prominently in there. And I'm like, oh, I like Nirvana. 
And I also like Tchaikovsky, but maybe there's something in the middle. You know? <laughs> like, I hadn't really thought about using the cello in contemporary music really before that album. But then that was one where I would put that on and like learn the cello part to the Nirvana songs and play along with it. You, you can sight read. You can just look at music and read it and play it. Correct. What's that like? <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, like, like, like. I mean, I, I, I can sort of play music, but I can't read music, and I just always wonder what the analogy. You know, if it's if there's an, a direct analogy to reading a book, well, my, my you look at characters, yeah. and I mean, and you just and you just see it. Is well, that, you, that's it. That's it. Yeah, you can read um, tabs, though, Mike. Well, right? yeah, but that's just like that's just like a letter that represents where to put your fingers. No, I, I meant um, no tab. I mean, like tabs with numbers. Oh, but I've no, I've never really used. Oh, those. okay. Well, nah. then, yeah. No, <laughs> there isn't a good. Yeah, no, no. That, I've, I've just used the super basic, like, oh, that's an A minor for that long of words. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, okay, it's time to get to your first song, John Davis. Okay. Um, it's bringing us back to our roots because it's even longer than Lydia's Black's song. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, no, no, we're not playing the whole twenty-five minutes. Just the first movement. Oh, we'll okay. See. Oh, I just downloaded the whole thing, so I don't. Okay. <laughs> 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 so, uh, so what, what are we going to hear here? Uh, this is uh, the first movement to uh, Dvorak's American String Quartet. And would you like to talk about it? Would you like to listen to it? How do you want to do this? Um, I guess let's listen to it first. Okay, this is, uh, I think you just said Dvorak's American String Quartet, first movement, and you had us get the, how do you say it? Oh, the Prozac String Quartet. That's It's just a recording that I've had for a long, long time, so that's kind of my favorite one. All right, here we go. How many times you listen to that, you figure? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> hundreds? Yeah? Yeah, probably hundreds. What's that experience like to listen to it now right here with us, you know, with it so ingrained? Oh, I'm, I'm always just thinking of the cello part in there. Um, it was a... A piece that I got to perform with the string quartet uh, when I attended Cypress Lake High School Center for the Arts. So for me, it's really just it's really anchoring to that whole experience of, you know, I'd, I'd lived nearly a decade in my hometown in Pittsburgh. I had all these friends that I'd known for years and years, and I did not want to come to Florida. I did not think this was going to be a good experience. And like I had my mind made up, like, well, I'll just finish high school and then I'll go to college back up north somewhere and, and, and never have to live in Florida again. Um, and then Cypress Lake was such a different experience. Like uh, at the Center for the Arts, like you could just go to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> like you didn't need to like ask somebody or get home. You had like, a level of autonomy that yeah. was not expected in high school. Yeah, yeah. Like we actually, we had a class my senior year and the only other people in it were the members of my string quartet. And it was just us rehearsing like without an instructor and you know we we really did it like we really utilized the time <laughs> as as we would have if we had been you know being proctored or watched um and that, that, yeah that was kind of like a i love the members of that string quartet and, and again I, I haven't kept up with these folks since high school very much you know beyond social media but uh it was just such a fun experience and to really like we worked on that piece for an, an entire year so you just like really get to know it in and out and, you know, you get to learn what it's like playing with these other people and you get to know each other so well. And it just becomes like this, like this, this, this fine tuned machine. And like we would even hang out on the weekends and rehearse, like, you know, just for fun. Huh. Um, 
And uh, yeah, this this that piece was to me exemplary of, of all of that of that time period and uh, kind of going into Florida thinking like this is gonna suck and then it actually turned out to be this amazing experience um, completely different from what my high school had been like up north you know I was maybe the only person in my entire grade sometimes the only person in my school who played the cello and now here I am in a cello section and there's like six other people and like Three of them are really, really good, and they're younger than me, and this is not, you know, you can challenge people to try to move up in the chairs. It was just, it, it definitely made me practice harder and want to practice more, and it was just such a supportive, great environment. Uh, can you uh, can you compare, because, you know, a lot of people have at least, like, a portion of their, their schooling, they, they're in band. Sure. So they play, you know, a classical instrument for, like, a year or two. But can you compare what it's the difference between you know playing in in a you know school band where you end up playing at games, or or a field day to something like that a proctored, or even unproctored really um, like a like a, a quartet that's part of your schooling. Yeah, so like my senior year there it was really weird. I, I had like anatomy and physiology, and I think I had a physics class and an English class, and then. Every other part of every day, I was at the center of the arts. Like it was you know, symphony orchestra rehearsal, string quartet rehearsal, independent practice, string, um, you know, AP music theory. And we were just always, we wanted to be there. We even would eat lunch over there, even though the cafeteria was in the other building. Like we would always make sure to bring our own lunches so we would never have to go over to the regular school. And just for people who aren't you know, familiar with Cypress, who aren't from around here especially, um, it's a normal school. It's one of Lee County schools, but it has a center, which is a side campus that's completely self-enclosed. Students have to audition to get in, and they spend about half their days just there or more and for four years. It's really kind of great. It really is. Did you, yeah. did you think then, because of the amount of time you were putting into that, did any of you or all of you think about like that was going to be a profession? Yeah, a lot of people did. Um, I, I knew it wasn't for me, though, which gave my independent practice my senior year not very much you know, meaning because all of my, my peers were, I mean, they were practicing their college like auditions pieces. And I, I knew I wasn't going to be doing that. I, um, if, I had thought briefly about maybe pursuing music professionally, but it's, it just doesn't seem like it would be any fun for me. Um, I love playing the cello, but if my ability to keep a roof over my head and food in my fridge is based on that, it's not fun anymore. Um, so I, early on, I, I knew as much as I loved it, it wasn't something I was going to do professionally. How did you find Cyprus? I mean, I want to move on shortly here, but how did you wind up at Cyprus? Did you, was that just serendipity when you guys moved to town, or was it something that your parents researched, or how did that work? Uh, no, originally my parents wanted to put me in Bishop Verreau. And uh, I didn't want to do that at all. Yeah. Uh, that would have been a different experience. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, but yeah, my, my mom said, you know, they have this magnet school. And, and it turned out that Cypress Lake was the closest high school to where we lived physically anyway. So you just moved to the right place, got, yeah. got the right news. And of course, when I got there, it was too late to audition for the Center for the Arts. So I started off in the regular high school orchestra. <clears throat> and I was going to quit because it was... 
Like, I just wasn't going to do that. I mean, it was kids who didn't really seem to care. They sounded god-awful. And I wasn't going to spend two years in an orchestra doing these watered-down kitty renditions of, you know, Colors of the Wind from Disney's Pocahontas. <laughs> like, it just it wasn't interesting. Oh, man. And then, by the way, the reason I know, this, know so much about it is because Gwen, my daughter, yeah. goes there. And, man, talk about bummer with everything being shut down. But the first four hours of every day of the week she got to spend in the black box theater with the theater kids. First four hours of every day of her freshman year of high school experience and then it all went away. Yeah. And now it's looking like even next year it might only be two days a week. And it's just like such a bummer for her because those are her people and she gets to be in that place that you've been describing and now she has to do it via Zoom and it's a bummer. Yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine yeah. what that would have been like for me. <sighs> okay. Um, well, remember, remember when we were at a band called Vegan Mosquito? I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's true it's true and there was a ukulele and another ukulele and a mandolin and a cello and a guitar and a guitar there was guitar there was, yeah. Yeah, there was there was some guitaring um so uh talk some about where you play now who you play with probably not as much at the moment because of the pandemic but you know i alluded to earlier how you sit in with people and stuff like that just talk some about that yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, with the pandemic, I don't play with anybody now. Um, that's not entirely true. Actually, a, a friend of mine who's who's um, no longer in Florida uh, was doing a Facebook Live, you know, performance, and uh, me and, and my neighbor Meredith, who this was Jason now, he was doing a Facebook Live performance, and Meredith was at my house, and I was playing along with cello, and she was singing, Aww. so he couldn't hear us, but we were. I don't know. That kind of felt like the last thing I did. That's, that's actually that's cool. Music. I wonder how much of that's going on because there's a lot of you know Facebook concerts happening right now. It never occurred to me to get out the guitar and try to pluck along. Yeah, it's fun. Well, and, and that's how I kind of learned how to bring the cello into contemporary music spheres. Understood. Was by listening to recordings and sort of figuring out where a cello fart part, <laughs> cello fart, <laughs> cello part would cello fit. Cello part's been called. <laughs> where the cello part would fit in. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you mostly play like, because I know Jason, you know, plays kind of like, you know, somewhere between you know fun funky rocky country folky somewhere in there is that generally your sweet spot for playing along with people yeah i love the americana stuff yeah that's yeah. that that's I, I don't know it's there's there's usually a simplicity to the music in terms of just it, 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 it's not terribly complicated to play the chord progressions yeah so it's real easy to to improvise parts and figure out where you fit Right. Welcome, Tara. Tara's in the Tara's in the house. Hey, Tara. Hello, friends. Hello. Um, Hello, friends. Hello. Um, uh, uh, real quick. So, you when you got finished with high school, you weren't going to apply for colleges for music. When I met you, you were working at a hospital. Yeah. Connect that arc. Okay. Um. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, I met you right here. Like right here, right where my arm is. I don't remember that. Yeah, but you okay. came by. We were me and Hap were, ho were producing Gulf Coast Live, and you came by and gave me your little leather bound resume. Yeah, thing. My, my portfolio. <laughs> yeah, your yeah. portfolio, right here, right here. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> continue. Oh, um, so I went to college for physical therapy, and uh, so that was kind of how I chose the school I wanted to go to. Um, most physical therapy programs were six years, and this school's program was really rigorous. You went summers, so you got your degree in five years. And uh, I struggled. Yeah. I did not do well 
like organic chemistry. Like I got like a D plus and I remember putting that on the fridge and my mom's like, you know, a D plus isn't a good grade. I'm like, I've never tried so hard just to <laughs> yeah. pass a class in my life. And I just quickly realized that I wasn't going to be a physical therapist. And so I, I stopped that program, but I was still enrolled in school and kind of taking different types of classes, a lot of literature courses, and just sort of figuring out what I was going to do. And then a friend of mine from one of my lit courses uh, had been working at the public radio station on campus and was leaving that job and said, hey, there's going to be opening here. I think you'd really like this. And so I went and I, uh, I, I did an interview, and I don't know why they hired me, but they did. And within that semester, I changed my major to journalism and was taking all journalism courses and working at a WDUQ, which is now WESA. Was your voice as sultry back then? No. Oh, <laughs> I want to find some of the some of those uh, audio recordings in the portfolio if I can ever find those squeaky, on any of this. Yeah, a little news. more high pitched. Yeah, I would. I would still get. A, it takes you a while to be able to settle down into it. Oh, people would know? still call me ma'am on the phone back in those days. <laughs> yeah, that was a thing. Uh, first band you were in. First band I was in, probably Vegan Mosquito. Wow. <laughs> and we weren't really a band. We weren't a real band. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we played music in front of people twice, yeah. and we had a few rehearsals. So well, then, we, and then and we that, had a name. Yeah. Then a then in that regard, I've never been in a I real band. Yeah. So you've never actually just been, a, you've always just been a sitter in her. Yeah. Well, I mean, we when I played with you know Jason Nail and Meredith Nail and Doug Davison, um, Alan Digby, you know, like we, we, we went through names, which right. from branding purposes None or marketing were as good purposes. As vegan mosquito, no, no. My favorite was Damn the Torpedoes. I remember that one. Yeah. But, well, but we just, sometimes it was just Jason Nail and Friends. Right. Like it, it just Was changed. it ever John Davis and Friends? No, it was never John <laughs> Davis and Friends. I think the term is a yeah. studio cellist John Davis. <laughs> But like, the studio you know, is usually a port. I'm not in a band. Okay? Yes. <laughs> you know, you give me a call, you need somebody. You've played with Cat Apple, right? I did. I played a show with Cat Apple and Nathan Dyke uh, in Bonita at the uh, Shangri-La Springs Resort. That was fun. Um, easier than you might imagine. Because, you know, usually when you're playing with a guitar player, singer-songwriter type, you know, they'd be like, okay, so these are the chord changes. Watch me at the bridge. Yada, yada. And I'm like... I'm just going to have to hear you go through it once before I really yeah. catch on. But with Cat Apple, it's so different. She just like picks up a flute and she's like, "This one plays an A." Like it's like, all right. it's like playing along to a yes. harmonica player <laughs> all day. Like, I can do this. Yeah. Did you ever sit in with uh, Pond or Rhythm Culture, which is what they were before Pond, the people who make the Gulf Coast Live? It's Nathan and Sam and Andy and that whole band back then. Yeah, yeah, and Carrie. No, yeah. no, no. I mean, I know them, but no, I wasn't. You came along after that. Was yeah, that's of, before my time. That is yeah. before your time. Huh? Okay. Um, uh, best concert you've ever gone to? Oh. Hmm. I feel like people maybe want to gravitate towards like a big stadium show or something, but that's not – I've never really liked those too much. I like the intimacy of the small concerts. I think maybe my favorite one ever might have been uh, Jesse D and the Sea Monsters. Um, Jesse D was a, a, a blues vocalist and musician, and like the Sea Monsters was, I think, again, just one of those things like Damn the Torpedoes, a group of people who got together, but like this whole horn section. And it was just in the basement of this small little tavern in Boston. And uh, 
it was just such an amazing show. And like we were right there in front of the horns. And I remember my uh, my friend Tom turning to me at one point and just saying, my face is melting. <laughs> and, like nobody was on drugs or anything. We just, But I knew exactly what he meant. I'm like, yes. And then that became a thing. We would say that when music was really good. I'm going to spring that on you one of these days. Okay. Um, uh, um, uh, best or favorite interview you ever did with a musician named Ani DeFranco? There's <laughs> only one of those. Oh, you only did it once? I only oh, did it once. On, John. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? Oh, that was uh it was kind of nerve-wracking. Um cuz I love Ani. Like, I, I, you could tell. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> it shone through. <laughs> okay. Um and it was, you know, you only had like 15 minutes for the interview and you know the publicist was really a taskmaster and I'm like well, I know we're running out of time but if I could ask one last question nope like I was cut off I was done um, but I don't know I feel good with the time that I had and it, to me it seemed a little weird because she was doing all these interviews and it was about her memoir and I had just received the memoir two days before like I hadn't read it like I didn't know so yeah. <laughs> but I knew enough about Ani and about her you know political connections Florida wise to, to get a yeah, I think a decent interview. Out yeah, of it. you got her attention in a way that probably most of the other people on that junket day were getting uh, her, her attention because I remember you 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 asked something that was both you localized her connection and you kind of showed that you were a true fan without being like oh you're Johnny Franco. Oh, good. And okay. and I I remember feeling that during that interview. So yeah, um, you've interviewed a lot of musicians over the years. I you have. Know, do you have any of those that stick out to you, or they all just turn into this one big thing called interviewing musicians in your head? Because I know that can happen. Yeah, it's it's something I'm trying to figure out how to do with the talk show where like I feel like the questions become really formulaic and I just ask a lot of people the same things if I don't know them that well. Um, I guess Ben Vereen. I got to interview him a few years back and that was amazing. But I feel like I kind of took that interview off the rails because he wanted to talk about what he was doing here in Southwest Florida, and I'm like, tell me what it was like performing with Cab Calloway. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, how long ago was that? Oh, probably a decade ago. Huh. Uh, okay, John Davis, you know what it is? What's that? It's time for song number two. Okay, okay. What is it? Oh, what did, we, what did I pick for? Oh, this is Gillian Welch. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is Hard Times. This is off her 2011 album, The Harrow and the Harvest. Do you want to talk about it? No. No? I don't even get to introduce it because John just did it with his, like that <laughs> sultry Sorry. voice of his. And we're off. No more. Like, it's so f-ing sad, but it also gives you a pathway out. You know? I don't know. Like, just any time you would just feel overwhelmed and just kind of need to turn your mind around. Otherwise, you're just going to sit and stew in this place and that song's always been able to do that um do you remember when that album first came out like when you first heard it and you know maybe what it was helping you with right then no not right then i mean i I was living in naples then and uh it's funny i was actually living next door to um frankie orion's parents and that was when I first met her. She was like fresh out of high school, so she would come over and play music with me sometimes, and it was always Gillian Welch tunes. Uh, I don't know that we ever did this tune specifically, um, 
I know, but most recently, I think what this song has helped me with is like, you know, my dog died about a month ago, like mm-hmm. early. And uh, so that's just something that I would put on. And, you know, it, it just I love that it offers the path out because it's saying, you know, like, yeah, wallow in it, cry. But then when this song is over, go do something productive and don't just let whatever it is that's bugging you continue to be renting space in your brain rent free. Um. Yeah. You ever, you ever played it? Oh, lots of times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With anybody else or just it? Both. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I, I performed that song out a lot um, whenever I would play with uh, Jason Nail. And we used to have a gig every Thursday night at uh, Tommy Cook's restaurant, The Hut, out in Buckingham. And uh, yeah, when I met him, and he was a Gillian Welch fan, and that was kind of like one of those... I didn't mean it to be a test, but it's like, okay, we can be friends. This is That's, that's important to me that you also like Gillian Welch. Is it the same test that you chose with like a Kyle Ann or a Claire Lipperillo? Because I could imagine the three of you just owning that song. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. yeah. I really like playing that one with Jason because I usually whenever I would perform with him, if I was singing, I was harmonizing and just kind of being back up. And with that one, I used to, I would sing the lead. So. Really? I was just mm. about to ask if Jason is who sang it, but you would sing the lead on that. On that one, yeah. Do you put it into a different key? From the record? Yeah. 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 Um, you do sing. I mean, now we know, because you just said you sang sing lead on that. that. <clears throat> yeah. But you also, I know you do a lot of harmonizing. I mean, is that something that just kind of came along by necessity? Because you're like, if I'm going to sit in with these singers with my cello, I'd better be able to sing. Oh, no. You are looking at the former vice president of the Pittsburgh Boys Choir. Which, wow. yeah, should also be called Future Homosexuals of My Southwestern leash. Pennsylvania. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Got any data on that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I do. I know several people who I've kept up with. Uh, uh, one of them's a, a gentleman named Oliver. I, I think he's now a choreographer for the Martha Graham Dance Company. He's had a real successful career. Um, but yeah. Once your voice cracks, you're out of there. <laughs> uh, so, you, so you started young singing and were trained to sing, and, oh, yeah. and you've always been not shy about singing. Yeah, yeah. And well, I remember that audition. That was because the director for the boys' choir was, I mean, he was a nice man, but he was intimidating. And it literally, and you know, I'm eight years old maybe, and, and he just sits down at a piano, and he plays like a three-note chord on the piano, and you have to isolate the middle note or the low note. Or like the high note. Oh and, wow! And like like rehearsals were long and intense. We traveled all over the place. Is that performing. how you learned to harmonize? Sorta. I think so. I yeah. mean, that seems like suddenly that was like yeah. there was like this moment where I was like, that seems like an interest because I've never really been able to harmonize. I can to I can thirds. sing along pretty well, but I've never really learned how to do the sidle up to. And yeah. That's sort of a way to try to practice that. Yeah, and I, I think it even started before that too. Like my my family was real big churchgoers. And the music was always my favorite part of church. And uh, I, I mean, those hymns, even though that's not really something I subscribe to anymore, those were etched on my heart. Like, I know those songs. Hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of wanted to ask, actually, about so you and your parents, because way, way back when we started, you mentioned that, like, in, in your house, you were going to learn to play something. Did you guys, because everybody could play and ostensibly sing did you did you ever play together even just at home no never no? <laughs> so it's like it's just an individual burden like every person in your house had to play something but you guys didn't perform together no 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 i think my dad played like trombone in his high school marching band but he didn't consider himself a musician my mom um didn't really play an instrument 
Um, so I'm not sure why they were so like gung ho on us <laughs> playing musical instruments, but that they were, and I'm so grateful for it now. Huh? Yeah. Wow. Well, what was the last song you sang when you did karaoke before everything shut down? Oh. I like, mm. by the way, that you didn't have to ask if he does it. I, like I just went do. through. I'm, I'm kind of out on a le- I'm kind of out on a limb here because I'm not entirely sure about John Davis's karaoke predilections, but I'm guessing. Well, you're you're, you're incorrect. I can't stand karaoke. Oh, okay. I think the I, I read a, something so, about. So you don't it. karaoke. I don't karaoke. I have karaoke. Okay. Uh, I don't enjoy being in well, spaces see, I, where it's I, happening. I, I was all right. I don't, <laughs> I don't like hearing other people do it. It's no, Same. no. It's terrible. Um, I, I heard a joke once that the guy who invented the karaoke machine should make a, get a Nobel Peace Prize for inventing a whole new way for the world to tolerate one another. And I, I totally agree with that. But I think my last karaoke experience, um, Meredith and I decided to get up at a... Oh, I can't remember the name of it. That pizza joint on College Parkway where they yeah. do the Mona Lisa's. Mona Lisa's. Yeah, I call it two meatballs in a shoe for some reason. Yeah, I call it that <laughs> Italian place that does karaoke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get so, spaghetti and karaoke. We were there, and and we tried to do a cover of Home by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We were too drunk. <laughs> it didn't work. Oh, there's like, a sweet home. spot. Oh, so bad. I'm sure the crowd loved it. Yeah. Um, Apple sauce, bama sauce, Yeah, no, it didn't work. We didn't know the words. We weren't looking at the screen. I was going to say, because yeah. they put them there. Yeah. For you to read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, now is the time when we all together sing some theme song from a TV show. So oh. We'll have to look yeah. it up. What is it that I'm going to look up? Like, the X-Men cartoon theme does not count, John no, Davis. Yeah. Oh, I get to choose it? You yeah, get to pick yeah. it. It's a, it's a theme song that you, you think you know, that we all you know maybe can sing together. mostly by heart. Yeah. Oh, well, then we're doing Charles in Charge, bitches. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> Should I sing? Oh, yes. In the neighborhood, he lives downstairs and it's understood that he's there to take good care of me. Like he's one of the family Charles in charge of our days and our nights Charles in charge of our wrongs and our rights And I see I want Charles I don't know Charles in charge of me (laughs) Of our days and our nights Charles in charge of our arms and our rights. And I see I want. There you go. That's it. I watched that show. I saw that show, probably all those shows, because I was the right age. I don't remember a single freaking word of that At song. Me, uh, <laughs> it's the opposite for me, man. That's that's like branded into my brain. No, seriously, I was like, surely I'm gonna know. It's like the whole way through, it was like like hearing the song for the first time. But oh, I know yeah. I watched Charles in Charge. Yeah. Oh no, I have uh, moments where I'm like in the shower in the morning and it's like Charles in Charge. I'm like, it's gonna be in my head all day. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh God, did you like that show a lot? No, I, but I. Just, <laughs> but the theme song. You didn't want just, Charles to be in charge of you. I did not. Yeah, uh, Buddy was creepy and weird. Buddy was weird. Yeah. Was Buddy the guy with the curly hair? Yeah, the guy looks like Greatest American Hero. Yeah, except Wait. younger. Oh, yeah. Kind of. <laughs> uh, okay, we're gonna stick with the lighthearted. And uh, okay. uh, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you come in on? <laughs> Got 
this job. <laughs> Championship wrestler. What would I come in on? Yeah, you're ready, man. You're owning that arena. Okay. It's you coming out in whatever regalia that is. Maybe you have a cape with feathers, a la Ric Flair. Maybe uh, you're just wearing a brief. I, Who knows? I, I'm thinking peaches. Ooh, yes. We need to. All right, so Richard. Yeah, people we need have to. to edit a little peaches yeah, I'll put that in there. In here, under this. Esoteric, John Davis. Okay. Yeah. Uh, besides WGCU, what radio stations do you have programmed on your car? Or have you programmed them yet on your new car? Um, only one besides WGCU. That's 93.3, the Tiger. The Tiger. I love that station. I love how he says it like Tiger. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't say Tiger. He says Tagger. <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder if since uh, the proliferation of three song stories. We've has, at least have more, notched like, them up yeah, just we, a little bit. We may bit. have increased their listenership. No, okay. I, that's for me too. Like I, well, I, I have 92.5 too because I'm masochistic. Um, Broadway musicals, stage musicals, do you enjoy those? Not typically, no. 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 I, I suspected mean, maybe not. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It, it, to me, it just it breaks the whole... Like, I love watching theater and getting completely lost in what's happening. And then when somebody, like, breaks into song, which, you know, never happens in real life, it's just like, okay, well... Are, are there That'll any be other... over in three minutes, and then we can get back to the plot. You know. <laughs> are there any other genres of music that you just com- you just choose to avoid? Um, I don't like Russian circus music. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, classic, normal. Yeah. I think there's an hour of that on the Tagger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was at a classical show once, and they opened with a piece, and it was Russian circus music. And I remember afterwards, I guess I was a kid, there was an older woman sitting next to me, and she looks at me and she says, well, if you didn't like it, you can clap because it's over. <laughs> always remembered That's that. That's a good philosophy yeah. on life, really. I mean, that, that could count for just about everything. Uh, dancing. Do you dance? Um, you know, the, the, the Madonna way. Like, at night, I lock the door so no one else. Like, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't, I don't dance. You don't, yeah. Just maybe just when you're by yourself semi-ironically oh yeah yeah oh absolutely yeah I'll dance around the house oh. ironically ironically ironically, ironically. <laughs> which were you answering Tara thought I said erotically uh, oh okay <laughs> You're saying ironically. Um, well, that's not true. I actually slow danced last night with Meredith Nail in her backyard. Aww. Yeah. Isn't that nice? I just see Jimmy, Jimmy Jr. <laughs> what song was it? I can't remember. Oh. Uh, we'll have to get her on this show. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, okay. Oh, I do. It was Anne Murray. Could I have this dance for the rest of my life? That's Aww. what it was. I'll well, play a little more of that too, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, uh, can you recommend a band that you're into that you'd like to just you know give props to that other people probably haven't heard of? Because I know you have a pretty eclectic listening tastes. Hmm. Oh, there's these girls I've been listening to called the Staves. It's like these three Irish girls. Um, and they just do these incredibly tight vocal harmonies. Um, but like, like they'll do, a, they do this one cover of, um, uh, I'm on fire by Springsteen mm-hmm. and it's just, it's a completely different song and it's, I think it's so much better. Uh, but I guess that would be just one off the top of my head. Any music that you've come across because of your job here at the station and doing arts coverage that, uh, have stuck with you and become part of your regular diet. Um, yeah. Um, you'll remember a, a few years ago, Tara, whenever we had on, uh, the tulips. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that band has really stuck with oh, me. And Dara yeah. Carter, their keyboardist, who is also a singer, she has been on the show a couple times as a solo artist as well. And uh, her her albums have made it into my regular Spotify rotation. I I know a lot of those songs verbatim now. Like I've had like little. Like when I'm driving in the car listening to it, like little fantasies. Like, wouldn't it have been cool if the last time she was here, I just busted out with that solo, you know, or something? <laughs> hey, she might be back. You yeah, never know. Right. That may not be impossible. Um, so you, you've, I alluded to the fact that you recently got a new car. And I want to know, how big was your upgrade in your system? I mean, did you go from tape deck? To- yes. Yes. <laughs> did you really go from tape deck? Yeah, I had a tape deck. Yeah, yeah. So you went from tape, to, tape deck to like Bluetooth? Yeah. Wow. What's that been like? It's been so liberating. It's been so nice. <laughs> no, before I could still yeah. listen. I could still listen to things through my phone. Did you have to use like the CD player adapter tape deck to play CDs in your car? Richard actually gave me the one that I had been using. Aww. Yeah, you actually were using a, re- a portable CD player plugged no, into no, no, your no, tape no. deck. No, no, oh, no. I, oh. I had the. the <laughs> it's like the cassette tape with the cord on yeah. it. Yeah. That then you can plug. Yeah. Oh, but you can put it into your phone. Uh, you put a, it, it, the other side is like a headphone. Yeah, side. yeah. Okay, so Anything you were using your a... phone through a tape adapter. Yeah. Wow, that's even that's the biggest that's, jump. That's the biggest jump ever. It's that's, been incredible. So yeah. now you like feel like you're driving the Starship Enterprise. Oh, and the sound system. It's yeah. so nice. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> okay, it's time for song number three. Okay, song number three is uh, this is Wig in a Box. And I said I didn't like musicals earlier, so it's odd that I've picked something from a musical, but this is from, uh-huh. uh, you know, the off-Broadway cult classic Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And the audio I've chosen is from the uh, 2001 film adaptation, because that's the one that I'm most familiar with. We're going to listen to it first again? Yeah. I think you're our, our only guest who's ever done all three stories after. I like it. All right. uh, so yeah, this is uh, Wig in a Box from the 2001 film adaptation of Hedwig and the Angry Inch. That makes me feel happy. I love that song. So that that uh, film came out in 2001. Like I, I was in college at that point. I remember I hadn't even like come out as gay to my roommate at that time. I think his girlfriend eventually just told him, and it was fine, like not a big deal. But uh, with, with Hedwig, it was just—I would watch that movie, but it was kind of like a like a private pleasure. Like it wasn't something I talked about with my friends or other people, and I was still kind of struggling with my own identity being gay. Um, but that film in particular, for folks who aren't familiar, the, the premise is basically it's this boy in you know German-occupied East Berlin. And kind of his only way of being able to get out is actually having this sex change operation and marrying this American GI. And the sex operation is botched, hence the angry inch. Um, and so at the beginning of that song, what you heard was the television playing, the, you know, the announcer saying that the Berlin Wall was coming down. And it was at a point where he's in this trailer park in the Midwest alone, like the GI has left. And it's just kind of like, well, sh- <laughs> East Berlin doesn't suck anymore, and now I'm stuck here. Um, but uh, and for me, I just always kind of connected with it in a way because any time that there had been a, a chance to dress up, like Halloween or whatever, like going back as far as I can remember, I was totally gender bendering, like bending it, like all like wigs, makeup, any chance I could think of to put on fake lashes, any reason. And uh, I didn't really understand that connection until I was like in my mid twenties. Um, 
my father was moving. And so he, I guess I'd had a lot of books and stuff in his house. So he had just mailed me boxes of things that I just left behind in his home. And then there was a separate box that he had sent to my mother. And it was much smaller. And it was just like, there was a note in it just saying, like, you can choose what to do with this. You can show it to John or not show it to John. And it was documents from, like, when I was young, like toddler, like three and four years old. And uh, my parents actually took me to the John Hopkins Sexual Identity Clinic because I, I, they thought I was trans, um, or at least was trying to be. Um, there was a girl in my preschool class named Deanna, and they thought I was enamored with her. In reality, I wanted to be her. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother had started calling himself AJ. Like, that was a nickname he gave himself. And the way he trained us all to do it was simply by refusing to acknowledge if you didn't say his new name. So I tried doing that with Deanna. It didn't work. Deanna? Yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> I couldn't get my family to call me Deanna. Um, but so there was just a lot of behavior they were concerned about. And I don't really remember any of this. But then I have this, this legal pad in my mom's handwriting because before we went in for the evaluation, they wanted my parents to like document the concerning behaviors. So and I still have this notebook with my mom's handwriting and a lot of it is just like incomplete sentences notes, you know, and it's like anytime you give him a costume with a cape on it, he takes off the cape, wraps it around his waist and calls it a skirt. Um, she would, she said she would come home from work and like get in the shower. And by the time she was out of the shower and changed, I had already stolen her hose and uh, high heels. And I would be in my room, like playing dress up with her stuff. And then there was a direct quote from me at age four when she caught me with it saying, I know where you hide them and I'll find them again. Don't look and you won't know. Four years old. Like, it was a weird little kid. Uh, so, um, and they took me to a conversion therapist after that. I think the, the John Hopkins people's take was that he's, he's, he's just gay. He's not trans. Right. Don't, don't do conversion therapy. That's not a thing. But they were super Christian, so they did. And that was... How um, old were you then? Four. Four. Yeah. And I don't really have any memory of that. Um, but my mom told me that, uh, you know, whenever she was never allowed to be included in the sessions and that when she would like come to pick me up afterwards or she'd be waiting in a lobby somewhere and I would just be crying. So she stopped taking me to those pretty fairly quickly. And uh, at the end of the day, it's sort of interesting because they had a good like 10 years to wrap their minds around the idea that I was not going to be heteronormative <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> before I came out, so which was good because uh, you know you know we grew up in a in a really conservative, very very conservative you know evangelical Christian home, and that just kind of wasn't okay, and and that was the message that I got for a long time, like from from parents, from church leaders, from you know basically all the adults in my life. So it was you know it, it kind of made leaving the church like. It didn't feel like a decision I was making. You know, it was kind of like, well, this is what I am. So if you can't get on board, I guess I can't keep coming here. Like, it was hard. It was sad. Who did you tell first? First person I told was my friend Sarah Anderson's mom. Sarah uh, was a friend of mine I went to high school with. She played viola. And uh, her mom, she was a lesbian, and she was just out and proud. And her mother is also a lesbian. And, And her mom has always been just out like as far as I've known her and and so I actually didn't come out to my friend I came out to my friend's lesbian mom so (laughs) and she still lives in the Fort Myers area I still see her from time to time Uh, what did uh, the recent Supreme Court ruling make you feel 
I know here it doesn't really necessarily apply in this building, thankfully. But I know you've, you know, you've, you, you're a person in the world. You've lived through different jobs. Um, I, I guess. God, it makes me think a lot of stuff. Um, I think mostly I, I, it makes me think about the struggle that continues to go on here, particularly in Lee County. Like there is a woman who lives here on Lee County. She has been on this show. She uh, was with her wife for decades and uh, worked for the county, and they had to live in secret. And then actually her, her, her wife died, but she was one of the plaintiffs in that groundbreaking case in Florida where that actually led to Florida legalizing same-sex marriage six months before the U.S. Supreme Court decision actually did. And so technically her marriage would be the first legally recognized same-sex marriage in Florida because it was posthumous. By recognizing the marriage, it meant that she was entitled to benefits from her spouse's work for the county. So it was kind of like retro, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was like, mm-hmm. oh, you're not married just now. Like, we have to recognize what your relationship meant three decades right. ago. Um, so I think about that, and I think about how she continues to fight. And I remember specifically listening to her speak at a public comment forum at a, a Lee County Commission meeting, asking specifically for a, you know, non-discrimination workplace ordinance that would include LGBTQ people. And she laid out like a legal framework of how the world existed at that time, basically, where these protections don't exist. Or if they do exist, it just depends on which judge you get. It's a crapshoot. And you shouldn't have to sue in the first place, you know. And then the, the county attorney gave his opinion that there were enough protections in federal law that the county didn't need its own local discrimination suit. And I'm sitting here going, like, what are you talking about? We just heard this woman talk for 10 minutes about all the reasons why those protections don't exist. And so based on the advice of the county attorney, every commissioner voted against it. And it was like, I, I, it just made no sense to me. You know, we ask, uh, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today? I'm going to reframe it for you and say, what would your 14-year-old self, who still wasn't sure of your identity or at least had come out, think about the you today that gets to be a journalist who knows these things, reports on these things, and brings that truth out to the public? I don't know. I think that kid probably would have been terrified. Like, you're out? You tell people what you feel like? Yeah, I don't know. My world was pretty small when I was 14, you know? Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite band of all time? Hmm. No. That's <laughs> I didn't prepare for this as well as I needed to. Uh, well no, that's right. okay. Right most amount. people most yeah, most people don't. Um do you have a, like who have you listened to the most? Like probably if you just were to somehow have magical accounting of all the times you've played different things. Is it that Dvorak thing that we played at the beginning? No, no, probably I mean for a long time listening to that was almost like homework. Oh right. You know. Um now it just, you know, fills me with nostalgia. Um uh, the most ever. Hmm. It might even be that big chill soundtrack. Okay. Like it's just go to like it's just it's comfort food. It's I love that. Who would you like to sit in with as a musician if it could be anybody? Oh, right now it would be our native daughters. That's what I would love to sit in with. It's um uh, it's a group it includes uh, Layla McCalla who's a cellist and a vocalist and um I'm slipping on the name of the other woman who was from the Carolina Chocolate Drops. 
you're waving your hand at me like it's going to make me get it. No, no, I know. I'm trying to. <laughs> Richard's I'm Googling. Yeah, hold on. Uh, Amethyst Kia? Nope. Uh, Rihanna and Giddens. That's it. Yep. That's it. Yes. So they, they've got a group, and uh, I, I just love their music. I, I, I bought their record a few months ago, and that's something that I kind of play along with on the cello now. There's a, a few songs on there that just work really well with it. Plus, they already have a cello, so they've already their music's already written with that in mind. Uh, uh, biggest get you could hope to get for Gulf Coast Life Arts Edition? Hmm. I guess some, well... I'm thinking more magically. Like, I, I would want to... Uh, well, no, yeah, go magic. I mean, go like anybody. Okay, well then... Not, I, not just somebody who happens to, like, play music in Southwest Florida. I mean, anybody. Okay, well then I'm going to go with the late Pablo Casals. Oh, that is magical. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it'll never happen, because, one, we wouldn't get him, but, two, he's also dead. Maybe that'll so. be the plot to the third <clears throat> Bill and Ted movie that's coming oh out. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, can you recommend uh, three people? Actually, let's make <clears throat> let's make Meredith one. So, can you yeah. recommend two other people besides Meredith that we should get on the show? Who else should you get on the show? I don't, I don't even talk to anybody else. Like, I know, right? It's <laughs> I relate, man. <laughs> um, Mike, have you ever done it? I have. Yes. Oh, I haven't listened to yours. Yeah, okay. no, I did it. Um, we recorded it early on, and then it sat in the can for like eight months, and then we released it right around year one. Okay, okay. Yeah, it was nerve-wracking. Yeah. Yeah, for me. Kind <laughs> 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 of host it. I want to hear Chris Kaus's songs. Oh, good call. He yeah. has such eclectic taste. It's all over the place. Okay. Chris I'm Kaus just, has I'm been so, called out. Yeah, I'm curious about what he would pick. He had gout. I, I know that. <laughs> Chris Kaus. Has I did a gout. radio story. The opening line was Chris Kaus has gout. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris Kaus, uh, Meredith Nail. Uh, and I'm going to pick Sarah Camino. Oh, I knew Sarah it. Camino. I knew it. Okay. <laughs> good call. Good call. My face is melting. John, John, will you also, John, will you also do us a solid and call out Frankie O'Ryan, please, as a bonus fourth? I just assumed she had done this. We yeah. have tried. To yeah. She's a hard we, get. We, we queried a couple Frankie times. Frankie Joe. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. We queried. Frankie Joe. <laughs> uh, okay. Songs you'll avoid listening to or turn off if they come up on the radio or whatever. Mm. Like... Anything by like Kenny Chesney or people like that, like like I like country, but I like like old country, like roots country, not commercial. Like she thinks my tractor sexy, like anything like that just drives me <laughs> daddy. I can't. All right, thank you, John Davis, so yeah. much. Thanks, John. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and sometimes hosts. Chris Duff is his executive producer. Our theme song was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio up in St. Pete. This week's parting tune, we're going back to my backyard in March of 2010 for the inaugural Ukulele Spring Fun Fest Jamboree. At least I think that's what we called it. I should actually say only because there was never a second annual. Vegan Mosquito, who we mentioned earlier, was sort of the headliner, I suppose. Why can't I get just one kiss? Why can't I get just one kiss? Maybe something that I wouldn't miss, but I love 
It was comprised of myself on ukulele, John Davis on cello, Dave 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 of theme song fame on uke or guitar, and my girlfriend at the time, Heidi, on mandolin. We had about 100 people in the yard for about six hours of acoustic music played by all sorts of good friends and good people. It was a good time to say the least. Here's Vegan Mosquito's cover of the Violent Femmes' Add It Up. Keep listening. Hey Siri, go with Carib. Carib, 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 low tip, low tap. Next time on Three Song Stories. You can go to this, this like blood donation place and you can like sell your plasma. Okay. Okay. So like, and so Ian would get like $6 more for his plasma than me. Okay. <laughs>